I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. All right, so you had a really exciting day today. Do you want to tell us about your exciting morning, Madigan? I was literally going to start with, I need to process some things with you. (laughs) It's been a really crazy, weird, weird day. Like, a number of weird things have happened surrounding my apartment, but nothing compared to this. We were watching a documentary. I was just telling Keegan that uh, Max and I watched this great documentary that was called, like, The Day Sports Stood Still, I think, on HBO, which was all about, you know, how sports handled the COVID-19 pandemic and all the social unrest this year and things like that. It was really great. And then all of a sudden, I hear this, like, unbelievably loud crash and we both immediately know know it's a car accident and we live on a really busy street. So like I'm looking out the window and I don't see anything from my couch. I'm like, what's going on? Max gets up and looks in our kitchen and literally feet from our kitchen window is a motherfucking car. <laughs> and I started to panic because this car, so they were going down um, my, you know, the big street and they realized that they missed their turn. So they tried to like cut the turn and lost control of their car. It was a bunch of like 14 to 16 year old kids that were I driving. I hope they weren't 14. Well, I think the kids in the back seat were young. Oh, okay. The younger kids. Okay. Yeah. The guy that was driving looked like he was, you know, maybe 16, 17 young, like definitely not out of high school yet. Like very, very young kids. And they were fucking laughing when it first happened, which I understand they might, it might've been scary. Like all that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. I get yeah, it. They're letting you ran steam. into a tree, but mm-hmm. I was fucking pissed because 
when I looked at how close, if that tree was not there, they would have run into my bedroom wall. And so I like run into the bedroom. My poor Dorothy was like napping on the other side of the wall, ran under the bed and was like scared shitless. She wouldn't come out for me. I had to get Max to come in because she likes him more than me. Poor baby. I mean, um, just you wait until their parents are called. Uh, Oh, the mom came. The mom came. It was a whole thing. The car was outside for like well over an hour. It was a really, really long process. And the mom, it was totally the mom that showed up that like called the tow company. The kids were like walking up and down the street. So many like passerbys were stopping and talking to them. Nobody was wearing a mask, so we couldn't go out there. But literally, I was just standing in my kitchen window drinking my coffee, staring at these four kids well, with their car in a tree. I just, just I couldn't look they away. Weren't hurt. <laughs> they weren't hurt at all. But you know what? The airbag didn't even deploy. Oh, so it probably wasn't even necessarily that bad. Although I have to say, I got into a really bad car accident when I was sixteen. My brother actually just sent me. He found the pictures. Oh my gosh! Um, uh, and like it was bad. Like my car rolled. I was sixteen. <gasps> it rolled off the side of a mountain. So the whole top. Were of- you driving? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I by myself. I didn't know this oh, happened yeah. to you. Oh, it was <gasps> terrible. I mean, I very wait. How easily- did that happen? How did you? So did I was you, driving. No, no. I was going up. This is why I have driving anxiety, especially on mountain roads. Oh I was going up through because I lived on one side of the mountain and I worked on the other side. So I'd have to go through the mountain when I was 16 every day to go to work. And I was coming home and it had snowed and my rims caught. I I took a turn just a little, well, someone was coming around the other side and they were, they, I felt like they were close to me. So So you made like a tight turn. Right. So I moved closer to the edge. Right. And then my rims caught on like like some rocks and it popped my back tires and it caught or my my two right side tires and it caused my whole car to flip over so uh, i was upside down the whole top of the car was caved in the the windshield was caved in if i hadn't been i was hanging from my seatbelt, and i i couldn't get out because my my, gosh my buckle was when there's pressure on a seat buckle, you know, you can't unbuckle yourself. Yeah, totally. Because so, you're like, you're in that locked position. Yeah. So this woman pulled over. Thank and God. she had to help me. Like, I had to hold my body up while she unbuckled me. And then I came out the window. Like, the car window. Oh, my gosh. Was, were you, were you cut terrible. up? Were you okay? I was, very, like, lesson to the listeners. Wear your fucking seatbelt. Yeah. I, I was okay. I had bruises, but they were, like, if you were not buckled. I'll send you the picture so you can see it. But, like, they're, like, if you weren't buckled in, you would have hit the windshield. And there you wouldn't have even gone through the windshield because there was nowhere for you to go because I was yeah. upside down. So, you would have your body would have gone straight into the windshield when who knows what what that would have caused oh like oh my gosh yeah so. i mean i've been in i've been in two very very minor accidents uh the first time my my airbag did deploy and i didn't even think that it, it hit that hard but that made it totaled <laughs> which was unfortunate oh yeah that's what i wanted to say is i don't think my airbag deployed is the point I was trying to get oh, at. And that, okay, that was a yeah. bad accident and it didn't deploy. It's all about like the That's way crazy. it hits. It's so weird. Yeah, it is really bizarre. But this was a head-on collision. Like this car was head first into this tree, knocked down a fence. 
I swear to you, it was three feet from the wall of my apartment. I mean, I'm sure that mom is happy that her kid is okay, but yeah, I, I bet you he gets a stern talking to after I this. I hope he's grounded because it was terrifying. I was running on such adrenaline and Max was too. We like It was like 11 in the morning when it happened and I had eaten only some Pop-Tarts, but we were like, is it too early to crack a beer after all of that? Like <laughs> Nothing's too early in the pandemic. Well, also Thursday, we treat Thursdays and Sundays like our Saturday and Sunday because that's when Max has off work. So I don't drive that day. I stay home. So I'm like, I can have a, it was like one of those kombucha beers. Oh, that's barely anything. Oh, I know. I know. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going to have this like black currant like beer in the morning with my <laughs> Pop-Tarts because I'm an adult. It's great. Yeah. So that was my that was my super crazy morning. And then there's a couch that somebody left outside. And this is another thing. Just don't do that. I cannot stand when people leave their furniture outside of a building and it stays there for like sometimes months and well, nobody yeah, picks it up. Because in the defense of doing that, when you live in the city, you kind of have to do that. But what you're supposed to, like I've done it before, but what you're supposed to do is there's a service that you call. It's like a city run right. service for like large item removal. You're supposed to call them and like they'll tell you when to put it out and then yeah. they're supposed to come pick it up. So if it stays out for a long time, then somebody has not done what they were supposed to do. <laughs> it's, I think we're only on like day four. So it hasn't been that long. But, but there, was a, there was a guy lay. I took a picture and put it on my story because there was a guy laying on that couch for like a good solid hour. And like right outside my window where I always like sit. So it's just like me and this dude chilling, you know. Man, I, what's worse than ca- we have to start talking about the news. But what's worse I know. than <laughs> couches is mattresses. Oh, yes. When people leave like nasty ass like bed bug ridden mattresses outside my apartment building. Oh, horrible. I did once, however, when I moved from that place that I was in for like almost five years, um, I took my old mattress, like after I'd already moved out of there, and I put it in that alley because there was always so much shit back there that I'm like, no one's even going to notice like that it's me or whatever. So again, breaking your own rules. But okay, I was like, I think I was only like 21 at the time, maybe. So I was young and immature and not thinking about other people. But it was also in an alley. It wasn't like right in the front of your building where like everybody's walking by. It's on the sidewalk, Keegan. Mm, Like, mm, mm. I don't get it. (laughs) It's like a hot pink couch on my sidewalk. I don't get it. And now there's just like dudes taking naps on it. It's really weird. Well, you know I what? Mean, you've, you've been able to provide comfort for somebody to have a nap. You can look at it that way. That I appreciate. But like if we could even move it to like the other side or like just not then in it would everybody's just inconven- view. Okay. Anyway, this is we're totally off track. We're Let's totally off track. Let's talk about the news. Talking about the news. So um, we definitely want to talk about the Derek Chauvin trial, but Madigan and I had a conversation earlier today where we kind of decided that since this trial is going to be going on for a long time um, and it could very easily dominate our What's in the News episodes every week for right. the foreseeable future, that today we're just going to highlight um, what has happened kind of each day of the trial. We're on day four currently. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
in the future, down the road, maybe right before the verdict, we will have a special episode dedicated to talking about the entire trial, um, yeah. George Floyd's life, Derek Chauvin's past record, and things like that. It's um, so fascinating. I was just going through uh, Floyd's Wikipedia page, and I do want to say one cool thing that I learned about him today because I think it's something really positive and it brings in some humanity before we start talking about some really shitty stuff. He was part of two hip hop groups in the 90s that were actually like kind of legit. Like one of them was in 1994 with a group called Screwed Up Click. And the New York Times actually wrote up about the group and called uh, George Floyd's deep voice purposeful. Oh, so I thought that was kind of cool. He was like this musician when he was younger and in these different like hip hop groups. So yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Fun facts. Let's talk a little bit about day one of the trial. So the trial started on Monday. Can I actually say one thing really quick? Because I think that it's, um, I think this is kind of important because I was reading um, in an article in NPR that opened their article discussing the two central questions of the trial Mm -hmm. as a whole. And I wanted to bring those up in the beginning. So the two questions are, what exactly killed George Floyd? And did Chauvin use excessive force? Now, obviously... Anyone with a rational mind knows the answer to this, but prosecutors say that Chauvin's actions killed Floyd, while the defense argues that Floyd's health issues and drug use caused him to die from cardiac arrhythmia. Now, I actually did read his entire autopsy report the other day, um, and it was very fascinating to kind of get down to the nitty gritty, especially when it came to the drugs in his system, the percentages, what that means, different things like that. I'm not going to get into all that right now because it's not even important. But I do find it interesting how they're attempting to use essentially a pre-existing condition. You know, he does have hypertension. He does have heart issues. But would he have died that day at okay. that time also, from, you from know, drugs or his, heart, or his heart problems? No. Hi- hypertension is essentially high blood pressure, which yeah. I, I have fairly high blood pressure. Anthony has high blood pressure, not to mention the fact that high blood pressure is very common in African-Americans, particularly men. Um, So was heart disease, very common in um, black males. So that is, to even put that into the equation is real fucked up. Um, The drug use, I mean, we've already seen, and we'll talk about this a little bit in the body cam footage, um, I believe that what they're trying to say as far as that is concerned is that it made him more hostile, but we see it in the body cam footage that he did not appear to be highly hostile. I mean, he does seem um, under the influence, yes. Right, and that is something that the worker at Cups Foods, which I've never heard of. I've heard of Cub Foods in Minnesota. I've never heard of Cup Foods in Minnesota. It must be like a knockoff of that or something but the he was in that store Floyd was in that store before his arrest and one of the I think the manager of the store had testified saying that he appeared to be under he, the he was just an employee he was a 19 year old kid okay. and I, I feel really bad for that kid but let's let's talk through kind of um moving through the trial starting let's from the first it. day yeah. so the first day of course there was opening arguments from both the prosecution and the defense the defense basically all they had was what you were saying is that yeah. they're going to focus essentially on character assassination of george floyd um and why he it warranted his death. Whereas yeah, essentially the de- why they believe his life wasn't as important because 
of like X Y Z. You know what I mean? Why didn't matter right. to me is what it sounds like. Right. I you mean, know? and and they're not going to say it like that. They're going to say that because of his actions, he was more of a threat, which caused Derek Chauvin to behave the way he did. Which right. is it, it's just it's laughable, really. But uh, I mean, it's not laughable because it's terrible, but it's ridiculous. It's laughable and of the fact that they would try to convince us they have nothing else they have nothing else that's the issue whereas the prosecution showed the entire tape um they described the way that the jury responded some of the people especially the older members of the jury had not seen the video yeah Um, there was a lot of tears it was hard being seen for people watching Mm -hmm. the video yeah it was i watched the i did not watch the defense opening statement because I didn't want to get too mad earlier today. I read about it, but I didn't watch it. I did, however, watch the prosecutor's opening statement, and I watched the full video. Um, and it was in the opening statement of the prosecutor where uh, the 8 minutes and 46 second time marker that we had all kind of latched ourselves to and had been kind of a rally cry as part of this movement. Uh, it was actually 9 minutes and 29 seconds that Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck. So that was kind of a big moment, I feel like, in the intro to that. And then they kind mm-hmm. of broke down before watching the video um how many times he says he can't breathe, asking for mama, you know, all those things like that, which I think was very effective. It was a very effective opening statement. It was a very effective opening statement because they didn't simply rely on the video. They also did go out of their way to say, we are not putting all cops on trial today. Uh, We are putting Derek Chauvin on trial today, Mm -hmm. which as much as, you know, people on very progressive people can be like you know burn the system down which i'm with you i'm on that Mm -hmm. i'm i do think it was a smart tactic for the prosecution to make that distinction and to say that like we understand that police officers sometimes have to make split second decisions and they literally say in the opening statement but not one second of that nine minutes was split it was you know there was no reason why you needed to use that much force. They talk about the sliding scale of force Uh um, that police officers are meant to use, which is that like you're supposed to respond. Right. Right. Like you respond to the to the force that's being given to you. So the force that you may need to use in minute one, when the suspect is very aggressive is not the right. force that you need to use in minute three when they have calmed down. And so to right. use that level of force for a solid nine minutes um, was excessive. Like, yes. and, and I just, you don't, you can't argue with it. Right. And I think that also, you know, I was reading into all of Derek Chauvin's past uh, complaints that have been made against him, other shootings he's been involved in, other arrests he's been involved in that were not by the book, not you know, clean uh-huh. multiple times. He has shot and killed unarmed people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There, mm-hmm. there are many examples of this man behaving horribly in the 19 years that he was on the Minneapolis police force. So I, I hope that the this obvious repeated offense is taken into consideration it, rather it's, than it's just, not going to be. I know, but you no. have to. But you have to see it. Like there, it, this isn't an isolated incident. For this man, and it wasn't for officer um, for officer Ta- uh, Tutau either. He has a long history of 
police brutality as well. And he's not on trial right now, so we'll get to that another time. But, you know, there is a there's a pattern of behavior with this man that I hope that they can display. And it may be it may be presented as far as like to display his character. However, he is being charged with second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. And while the charges carry a maximum sentence of 40 years, he's likely to only face between 11 and 15 years because of the state's sentencing guidelines for first time offenders. So they are because he has never been convicted of anything in the past. It is not going to increase his sentencing in any way. The fact that like he has done these things in the past, it may it's contribute just, to the fact that he gets convicted, hopefully. Right. Um, but otherwise, it's just, it, it blows my mind because if anybody else did what he did, none of that would be in consideration. You would still look at the pattern of behavior before that would still be, I feel, for any other case, if it wasn't a cop, it would be compelling evidence enough to help put someone behind bars. I think the fact that we're talking about police and their and their use of force, which makes everything more complicated. And that's what's infuriating to me. If it was anybody else, a lot of these conversations wouldn't. None of these, yeah, no, they wouldn't be. Um, Okay, so there's a lot more, of course, that happened on day one, but let's, for the sake of time, let's just move on to day two, um, in which six witnesses took the stand on Tuesday. Um, Several of them broke down in tears. I think one of the most upsetting things about day two was that so many of the witnesses were children, um, and so their names and faces could actually not be disclosed, which is horrifying and and very sad that they watched someone die uh, at their very young age. I'm including a a nine-year-old. So it's it's tragic. But one of the highlights, I think, of that day, day two, was Genevieve Hansen, who is a 27-year-old Minneapolis firefighter and EMT. And she arrived on the scene and she said, quote, I was concerned to see a handcuffed man who was not moving with officers with their whole body weight on his back and a crowd that was stressed out. And then she says he wasn't moving. His face was puffy and swollen. And she realized that he needed medical attention. And she volunteered to provide that. Um, to, and she's the one yeah. you can hear on the video saying, check his pulse. Like, yes, you need to and, check his pulse. And she went to Officer Tao offering her assistance, and he told her that she should know better than to get involved. That was his response to her, which is just such a Trash. cold, trashy, a trashy person. thing. Uh, she testified saying, there was a man being killed. I would have been able to provide medical attention to the best of my abilities, and this human was denied that right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and she and she was very frustrated. She was asked by the prosecutor, were you frustrated? Um, She said, yes, I was desperate to help. And when it came time for her to be cross examined, um, she got she got got fiery and I was here for all of it. I agree. Yeah. No, of course she did. I mean, who wouldn't? It's it's a very human reaction. Yeah. When being asked, like. So, okay, so she was asked by the defense um, if the bystanders, because they part of their defense strategy is to say that it wasn't just George Floyd who was the threat. It was also the bystanders increased the level of threat to the situation. So Mm -hmm. when she was asked if the bystanders were angry and upset, she said, I don't know if you've seen anybody be killed, but it's upsetting. (laughs) 100%. Like if I was asked that question, like, were you upset by what you saw? 
No shit. Yeah, yes. or was the crowd heated? Like, yes, of, of course, course the crowd was heated. They were trying to stop a man from being murdered in front of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it got so heated uh, that the judge actually had to stop <laughs> because it was getting argumentative yeah, and have she was her return warned. the next day. Yeah, yeah, she was warned a couple times by the judge and then she's going to finish the next day, which I applaud her for. I think that's fantastic. I think when when there is a jury involved too, there's, you know, there's a way to be professional, of course. You know, she was, she's wearing her uniform. She is showing up as, you know, a, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, but an employee of, you know, the Minneapolis County and still being able to express emotion and show her feelings and not just hide behind kind of, you know, the more analytic side of things, but being mm-hmm. brave enough to actually express how she was feeling, I think is really wonderful. Yeah, I, I do. I think that the fact that so many of these witnesses are so obviously distressed, yeah. while it makes me very sad for them, I think it's good to see the jury see that emotion. So, like, let's go into day three, where... What you were saying earlier, Christopher Martin, who's a 19-year-old former Cup Foods employee, this kid makes me so fucking sad because he says whenever he was given the $20 bill from from George Floyd, he realized that he thought that the bill was fake. This kid is 19 years old, but he said that he did not think that George Floyd knew it was fake. George Floyd was obviously um, under some kind of um, influence. influence, But, But despite that, he says he seemed very friendly, approachable. He was talkative, just having an average Memorial Day, living his life. But he did seem high. Okay, so he said he was given this bill. He thought it might be fake, but he didn't want to. He was like, he's nineteen. He was like, I don't want to make it hot for this guy. I don't want to. He doesn't want to say something to him. So I mean, honestly, I I think that in most situations, I would do the same. Where he went to his manager, right, and said, you know, hey, I think this is a counterfeit bill. I don't know if he went to his manager or if the manager saw it and at that point called the police Um, because I I really couldn't tell if he went to the manager or if it was a thing where the manager saw the bill and was like, that's not a real bill. Right. um, And and called the police. But what made me really sad is this kid, he's 19, is breaking down on the stand Kind of. I mean, not not fully like breaking down, breaking down. But he says, if I would have just not taken the bill, this could have been avoided. So he's blaming himself. Yeah. And so is uh, one of the young women who filmed the video and filmed the arrest. She is only 18 years old. So I think some people are releasing her name. I won't release her name just in case there is some sort of kind of like legal stuff going on with that. But she expressed regret on the stand for not physically confronting Mr. Chauvin, which I think is such a heavy burden. No, and there were some people who tried. There's nothing you could have done and that could have put you in danger. It's just... I think that she is so brave for having filmed what she did. This this historical, monumental piece of footage that we have in the worst of ways, obviously. But she was able to be brave enough to film them when I sometimes, like, I would, that would scare me. I would be scared to even film because I would be afraid of the repercussions coming back at me. And so that she feels such the weight of the world on her shoulders, feeling like she should have done more, breaks my heart. Yes. Uh, I mean, all of these witnesses really broke my heart in different ways. So yeah. we we also saw new 
body cam footage. Um, so we saw two Tao's body cam footage, uh, which showed them putting Floyd into the car. And it does appear as though he is uncomfortable and uh, kind of resisting a little bit being placed in the squad car. But he's resisting because he's telling the officers that he's claustrophobic. Yeah. Right. And that he doesn't want to be. He's a big guy. He doesn't want to be. Placed and you in the hear car again. you hear him say that, too. And he right. also like, well, I was just what you just said. He's a big guy. His name is Big Floyd. He's six foot six. You know, like I can understand being shoved into a tiny squad car when you're claustrophobic, that that would be scary. And you just need to have patience with that person then. Yes. He even says, I'm scared as fuck. He says, I'm scared as fuck, man. I'm not a bad guy. And they interviewed um, another witness, Charles McMillan, who is a 61-year-old man who completely broke down. They had to pause um, because he he just dissolved into tears on the stand. Mm -hmm. Um and he said, I feel helpless. I don't have a mama either. Yeah. On the on the stand. And it, it was it's just so tragic. It's just it is. so this this situation. And I think that this is really important to highlight is that police brutality, police violence in this way in a community, it doesn't just affect the person who it happened to, right? It doesn't yeah. just affect George Floyd and his family. It affects the entire community. It affects everyone who has to live in a place where they no longer feel safe um, yeah. around the people who are there to protect them. And I mean, I really feel that everybody, I don't get how anybody can watch that video and not be affected. How anybody can watch that video and not walk away with the same conclusion. Completely boggles my mind i just well, don't yeah. understand I mean, it you you hear um to tell have a back and forth with several of the witnesses right where they're expressing concern about him saying he can't breathe yeah um, them saying you need to ease up and he says which is why he's he's as bad as Derek chauvin in my oh, opinion he's the he he is such a piece of shit yes yes <sighs> he says to them he says he's talking so he's fine because he's mm. saying, I can't breathe. And so there's yeah. a, he, he says, well, he's talking. He's saying he can't well, breathe, so he's yeah. fine. And there was multiple paramedics that were uh, that testified as well. There was a paramedic by the name of Seth Zachary Bravender who provided medical assistance to Mr. Floyd. And he testified that he could tell when he showed up on the scene that Floyd wasn't breathing. And his description of what he saw when he showed up on the scene is is graphic and heartbreaking. Uh, he was the one that was driving the ambulance and on the way to the hospital, he had to stop and pull over so he could assist his partner in aiding Floyd. But by the time he had stopped the ambulance, Floyd had flatlined. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very tragic, not only the number of people who are traumatized by having witnessed this event, but all of the people that it's been such a recurring thing that witnesses have said, both, you know, wit- bystanders on the street, and also professionals, EMTs, saying that like they feel such a tremendous amount of guilt for not being able to save him, um, and and it, it's it's just it's making me feel so like I'm feeling the same feelings that I felt the first time I saw that video. You know, like I so agree. I want everybody to tread lightly take care of yourself stay informed but this is a long haul yes this trial it's going to last for a long time and so take take it as you can yeah um, i actually have some i actually have some resources in one of the articles that i was reading they do talk about how you know this does take a very 
emotional toll on a lot of people. So if you are needing any sort of help, these are some resources. You can contact the Anxiety and Depression Association of America at 240-485-1001, the National Alliance of Mental Illness at 1-800-950-NAMI or 6264, The Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, and the Association of Black Psychologists is 301-449-3082. Thank you for those, and we can put those in our show notes as well. Definitely. Um, If anybody is confused about how to get to our show notes, because that is generally where we put resources, if we list off resources, um, you can go into, at least I know how to get them, you can go into the Apple Podcast app and hit the details button, and it will drop down everything so if you're yeah. if you're wanting to know where to find that um but yes like we said we will definitely be talking more about this in the future but we kind of just wanted to at least let you know how it's going so far we right. know that it's kind of something that's dominating the news cycle and we didn't want to overlook it altogether. but we would be talking about this for the next hour we if could we talk were about just, everything and right. like oh yeah i was going down major rabbit holes today so yeah there's there's much to discuss yeah. So I wanted to talk about the like what I'm referring to as like vaccination passports. I don't really know what they're going to be called or what they're referred to. Um, but essentially, now that there are so many people that are getting their vaccines and being allowed into more and more spaces and travel and all of that, we are trying to figure out a way to identify if somebody has been vaccinated or not before they're able to enter certain spaces, which is causing a big issue so mm-hmm. as of so right you now just saw me make a face yeah and it's because look i think everyone should be vaccinated i think it's highly important i will be vaccinated as soon as fucking possible i'm halfway there um, yes you're Woo-hoo! halfway there i'm getting vaccinated as soon as i can um and i think everyone should be vaccinated but i don't trust our government even a tiny bit to start going down this road where we have to essentially show documentation about a medical decision makes me nervous, not for this, but for what it could be used for. Exactly. And, and that, that is the primary issue. You know, there was, I I don't know if this is a thing in the United States, but I know in other countries uh, where yellow fever is still really prevalent, you will show a card that shows that you've been, you know, vaccinated for that. And I understand, um, you know, that that logically showing proof that you're safe would be a good idea before you enter a business or a theme park or anything like that. So in theory, it's all really great. But yeah, there really is an issue when it comes to privacy and security. And that's why there really isn't going to be any sort of like one size fits all form of documentation. And especially because right now it's not, none of the mandates have really been on like a federal level. It's all kind of been state to state. Well, and the thing is, businesses have the right to do whatever they want. So if there's a business that's saying, you know, we need our employees to show proof of vaccination before they can come back to work. Exactly. um, Then that's a business decision. Yeah. But if, but my, and I don't have a problem with that. I I would be nervous if this happened on like a federal governmental level. Completely. I I completely agree with that. Yeah. So the CDC has designed a card, but not again, not everybody is told that they have to use even that card in particular. They can kind of use whatever they want, which really is also going to kind of cause an issue because if businesses are going to be requiring 
some sort of proof of vaccination, there's not really going to be any sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're all gonna, they're all going to look different. So how are you going to be able to tell what's proof? Right. You know what I mean? It's um, not yeah, like an I ID mean, or a passport where everything e- exactly. is the same. The only way they could make it uniform is if they made it governmental, either statewide or nationwide, where it was something that was issued to you and had like maybe a barcode that could be scanned or something like that. Yes. But but again, that to me is going down a very dangerous route. So it like, is. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Because I, I understand people's concerns, too. I mean, we had a work phone call where there was a woman on there who said, I personally will not feel comfortable coming back to work if if there's not some kind of way to verify that everyone has been vaccinated. Yeah. You know, and so I understand that as well um but i also do think it's important to recognize that this is what they said in my work meeting as well that like it's the people who are putting themselves most at risk by not being vaccinated are the people who are not getting vaccinated that's true yeah because you if are you're by vaccinated, far less at risk yeah. yeah you can spread it to others who are not vaccinated but yeah the people who are going to be hurt the most by this are those choosing not to be mm-hmm. vaccinated um and what's interesting is because there have been kind of whispers about these you know id cards happening there are already people online who are selling uh fake vaccination cards for like 200 dollars a pop like Get you out. send yeah it's in kind of like n- I don't think it's the dark web, but it's in kind of like unmonitored shady parts of the area internet. of the internet. It's like eight yeah. chan stuff, um, and you just send them your money and your details, and then they'll send you like a fake card. Um, it's really interesting. But I, so I am a dumbass, and I like laminated mine before I got my second shot. So they're gonna have to write. <laughs> they're gonna have to write the second one in sharpie, and then I'll just like put a piece of tape over it or something. Um, but yeah, because I lose things like that so easily. So I like put tape over it to laminate it and then like put it on my fridge. And Max was like, what are you doing? And I was like, no. Um, but yeah, I'm going to keep that shit with me forever as a memento. So if I need proof of anything, I'll just show that, which I think Whip is that baby out. I think that's kind of what people are saying. Like if if there's an employer that is looking for proof, if you just show them the car that you get from the right. pharmacy or wherever mean, you go. Look, and those things are going to be easy to fake, but at the same time, it's like anything is easy to fake, really. Like, yeah. is an employer really going to check that hard about anything? So it's like, uh, sure. Like, it let's, it just not? depends. Just I think those- it depends on the person and the company and, you know, yeah. all of that kind yeah. of stuff, too. But... Another really great piece of information for all of you to have is if you go to Krispy Kreme and show that you've been vaccinated in some way, you get a free donut. I really feel like this is discriminatory uh, (laughs) against those of us who are not eligible, but okay. I completely agree, but I do think that it it is kind of a cool incentive for people that maybe yes, agree, agree. I'm just being salty, yeah, and things like that. But you know, hopefully, I know in California they say by May, or I don't know if it's everywhere in the country by May. They're saying in California, yeah, everyone is eligible on April fifteenth. That is everybody is eligible April fifteenth today, April first today by our standards um, world. people people 50 and over became eligible everyone 50 and over and then april 15th so i'm on a waiting list for april 16th yeah um, but i do have a secured appointment for april 30th so if, if worse comes to worse that's what good happen. but but yeah, yeah it was interesting because max was trying to figure out how he was going to get his and then one of the questions was like one of the pre-existing conditions was asthma and he has yeah. asthma. He's like, mm-hmm. fuck it. And he he was eligible. So he went the right. day after me. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, 
<laughs> well, how long do we talk? Oh, I mean, we've been doing it's not 40, too bad. It's not too we've bad. We've been doing 40 minute minis lately, you know? I know. I'm trying to look. I know the listeners like it, but it's a lot for us. It's a do, lot for like, us because we've don't, been doing 45 minute minis and then we've been doing like hour and a half long full lengths. And know. that's a long night. And for whoever has to edit the mini, they do it the night of or early the next morning. And so. Yeah. Look, I'm just letting you a little peek behind the podcasting <laughs> curtain. We love y'all. We want to provide you all with long episodes. However, <laughs> Mama is yeah, tired. Yeah, I don't okay? eat dinner. <laughs> I don't eat dinner until after I record. So I think last week we were done at like 940. And Which like, will be this week as well because it's 8 o'clock already. Oh so, my God. We are know. not doing an hour and 40 minute long full episode. I will die. I mean, we'll I, see. I will die. Oh, all right, everybody. If there's anything in this coming week that you want us to talk about, please send us an email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can go to the group and chat with your fellow listeners and go to the business page and leave us a review if you haven't done so. And if you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it so much when you do that and you will be featured on our Instagram for Reviews Day Tuesday. All right, that's all we got for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.